Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning. Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Good morning, Christ Church. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we worship you this morning because you are good. You are worthy of all praise. God, when we were enemies, you sent your son to rescue us, to redeem us, to adopt us as sons and daughters so that we might be a part of your eternal family. God, we pray that your great love would overflow from our lives and from our families and from this community so that people might see our love, see your love through us and long to know you. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, good morning. Oh, lots of family and friends. I think we're praying for some babies, children, sorry, at the end, not babies, but summer babies, just in case you're an older kid. Uh, great to have you. If you haven't been with us, we are walking through um, a four-week series on family discipleship, obviously looking at what the Jews called the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which describes how the people of God were to teach and commend the works of God to the next generation. And when we started a few weeks ago, we talked about how the structure of these verses can be viewed as like three concentric circles, which describe how our hearts grow in the Lord and then how ultimately the hearts of those around us grow in the Lord as well. We've obviously been focusing in on discipleship inside the family, but the flow and the basic elements of what are being described in this text are foundational to all discipleship. And what I hope we've made clear over the past few weeks about parenting specifically is that it's hard. It's hard. You probably don't need a pastor to tell you that it's hard, but you're not going to be a perfect parent. You're just not. It is only by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can succeed at this monumental task to which we have been called. 
It's only when we humble ourselves before God and rest in the power that he provides that we can grow in faithfulness and love and disciple those around us to do the same thing. And so I want to walk through these verses and look at these concentric circles one more time and then see if we can dig in a little bit deeper on how to apply these truths to our lives. So Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's our, our foundational statement of truth that opens up this section of Scripture. There is one and only one true God. And then comes this first circle. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your hearts. That's circle one. This is where all discipleship begins. That you, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, single guy, single girl, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. If we are going to walk in obedience to God and be a disciple-making people, if we're going to foster a culture of discipleship in this church, the starting point must be cultivating a love for God in our own hearts. And then we move into circle two in verse seven. You shall, shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And so the, the, the second circle is where disciples are made. This is the place in which we live. This is the daily life of a believer. It is the teaching and the modeling that takes place as you sit in your house and you walk and you play and you live life together. But you can only make disciples in this second circle if you yourself are growing in a loving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is an overflow of our hearts. And then the third circle is found in verse nine. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when you look at this text as a whole, there's almost like a cascading effect in the life of a believer. When, when you and I are committed to seeing a love for God grow in our lives, when we seek ways to fill our days with things that stir our affections for Christ, the things of God will naturally become the dominant conversation in the car, around the table, by the bed at night. We're not talking about perfect parenting here, but consistently and creatively proclaiming the goodness of God and the truth of God in the daily rhythms of our lives. And when we are faithful in this, when our hearts for God overflow into the way we lead and love inside of our families, our family as a whole will begin to glow with the light of Jesus. So the word of God is not simply written on our hands or before our eyes as we read just now, but it is written on the doorposts and the gates of our home. People around you will begin to see the beauty of God's design and the joy of a life submitted to the one and only true God. 
but you can't begin with the outward facing ministry, right? You can't start there. We can't paint the house before we establish the foundation. But once the truth of God overflows from our life and is woven into the rhythms of our family, God will use that to proclaim his glory to the world. People will see the hope that we have and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And I've seen this so much in our community. I hear these stories all the time. When your friends or neighbors are struggling in their marriage or with their kids, when they don't have a community or network of friends, who are they going to turn to? Who are they going to seek out? See, they are drawn to the light of Christ in your life and in your family. It's not that they see a perfect marriage or a perfect family, but they see something different. They see a greater hope, a greater joy radiating from your life. And the same goes for you kids. Other kids will be drawn to the hope and the joy and the community that you have. We see it. And once again, it's not because you're perfect kids with perfect parents, but because your family is rooted in the perfect love of God. And people see that. That's the third circle. People will be drawn to the love of Christ in you. And so this cycle of discipleship just continues over and over. But we're really not going to spend a whole lot of time in circle three during this series because it is really in that second one where our primary discipleship happens. The outward facing ministry is the result. It is the fruit of a healthy family. It's important. We want that. But that all flows from us growing in faithfulness to God's design for our families and this church so that together we might shine with the glory of Christ in this world. So we began a couple weeks ago with the foundation. We were talking about modeling a life of love. And then we talked about intentionality with our time last week. We talked about weaving the things of God into the rhythms of our daily life when you sit and when you rise and when you go on your way, when you drive in the car, when you're headed to practice, when you're putting them to bed at night and waking them up in the morning. We didn't say add all these things, but rather as you're doing what you're already doing, be more intentional. Be more mindful. That was last week. It was big picture intentionality with our time. And so this week I want to focus in a little closer and talk about moments. That is seeing and leveraging specific moments, specific opportunities in the course of everyday life for the purpose of gospel-centered conversations. What we're looking for are just opportunities in the normal flow of our lives to turn conversations towards the gospel, towards scripture, to turn things toward our loving God. And there's no better example of how to do this than Jesus himself. He was the master of turning conversations to the things of God. And I understand 
I'm sure some of you are like, could we please have a different example? <laughs> uh, yeah, he's Jesus. Of course he nailed it. And I get that, but the answer is still no. But here's the good news. The Bible tells us that if you are a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit actually lives in you. He is guiding and teaching and directing you. He is making you more like Jesus. And on top of that, we are disciples of Jesus. We are learning from him and seeking to follow him in the way that we live. So we're going to stick with Jesus today. But I do understand. I'm giving you an example of the only perfect holy person that ever walked the face of the earth. It is daunting, but he's in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. That is the good news of the gospel. So now what was impossible has been made possible because Christ is in you. So we want to look at who he is and how he lived to see what the Holy Spirit is doing in us as we are shaped into his likeness. For example, Luke chapter 21 Jesus is in the temple hanging out with his disciples and rich people are coming in and they're dropping all kinds of money in the offering box. And then along comes the poor widow, right? Everybody knows this story. And she drops two mites into the offering box, two little copper coins. And they're just standing around and Jesus sees this and he seizes the opportunity to just teach his disciples. He says, do you see that widow? You see her? She just dropped two mites into the offering box. And I'm telling you that she has given more than anyone else today. Had to be mind-blowing, right? The disciples were always a bit slow, kind of like us sometimes. They had to be like, wait, wait, Jesus. I just saw a guy drop a stack of hundreds in there, and you're telling me, right? It doesn't even make sense. But Jesus takes this opportunity as they're just standing around in the temple to teach his disciples about kingdom economics. What God values is not the amount. He values the heart of the giver. It's really like a Jesus life lesson for all of us, right? You may be that person that gives thousands, but you're stingy. You give out of compulsion, you think it buys you something, or you're bitter. I know you're not in this room. It's metaphorical you. But that's not good. That doesn't honor God. And at the same time, you may give so little, but it's always a sacrifice. It is a painful joy to worship Jesus in that way. Because what God wants is not our money. He wants the heart's of his children. But what we do with our money says a lot about what we love, about what we value most. See, that widow gave far less, but she gave everything. It was a powerful act of worship and trust in the Lord. And look, Jesus didn't like prep the mini sermon before he got to the temple, right? He didn't write out notes and kind of plan out, okay, we're going to be here. I know this widow comes this time of day. He just saw a moment and he's like, ah, kingdom economics. It's awesome. 
Those are the kind of moments that we're looking for. Or one of my favorite stories, I feel like I try and work it into a sermon at least once every few months. Uh, It's in Mark chapter 10 when Jesus is once again with his disciples. That's what he did. Uh, And two of these disciples are brothers. Jesus gave them the super cool nickname, Sons of Thunder. Right? And when Jesus gives you a nickname like that, it's going to be hard not to let it go to your head. Right? Sons of Thunder? That is probably the coolest nickname ever. But whatever the case, they were either arguing with each other about who was the greatest and kind of teaming up against the other disciples, or they were either arguing against each other or teaming up against the other disciples to figure out who's going to sit by Jesus in his glory, pretty typical of a couple of dudes. And if you read the account in Matthew 20, they actually got their mom involved. Yeah, their mom. Because that's really going to instill a sense of confidence in their leadership, right? Hey, mom, could you go talk to Jesus and see if we can be his favorite? It's, it's in the Bible. Can you believe that? And Jesus stops them and says, let me tell you about my kingdom. Because the character of my kingdom is different in every way than the kingdom of this world. The greatest will be the least. The first will be the last. He teaches them what the kingdom of God is like and how what the world values is diametrically opposed to what God values. He says, no, no, no. You don't understand. We will not exercise authority and power like the Gentiles do. But whoever is the servant of all will be the greatest in my kingdom. And whoever exalts himself will be the least. Once again, it's just a moment. It's a moment of pride by these men and and probably their mom. But Jesus didn't shame them for their sinfulness. He didn't say, you're so wicked, you prideful men. He said, this is an opportunity. It was an opportunity to to cast a vision for the glorious reality of the kingdom God was building. To point to what God values over against what the world values. And that's what we're looking for as parents. Just little moments to speak the truth of God into the lives of our children and our friends and our coworkers to shape their hearts around the things of God. And one of the greatest inhibitors to seizing these moments is that when we think about family discipleship or discipleship in general, we often have this image of of like an epic moment of brokenness and tears, right? We have this deep gospel conversation and, and those are awesome. Like those experiences may come But 95% of what your children are going to learn from you is in these tiny moments, these little opportunities where there's just a small question asked or something you saw. Here's what God says about fear. Here's what God says about anxiety. Here's what we should think about this decision. Here's how we should view it through the lens of what God values. Here's how we should think rightly about our money and our possessions. 
when we take advantage of these moments consistently pointing our children to the truth of God, we are instilling in them the character of God's kingdom. We're laying a foundation of truth that will guide and shape the way they view God and themselves and this world. So that's the goal. That's the vision we're pursuing, but how do we do this? How do we grow in this as believing parents? As I said last week, I wanna get very practical. We've kept it very simple. So I wanna talk about two ways that we can grow in discipleship and take advantage of these moments. And they are, it's gonna blow your mind, be prepared, be observant. Not complicated. And my hope is that we can kind of take this grand ethereal idea of discipleship and make it accessible. To see that the majority of discipleship takes place in the mundane, unfantastic moments of our daily life. That is discipleship. We're going to begin with being prepared. We're talking about taking advantage of moments throughout the day to turn our conversations to the things of God, to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And if we're going to do this, we need two things. We need to know something about the attributes of God, right? If we're going to tell our kids about God, we need to know about God. And we need to know something of godly character, how it is that we have been called to live. And we're not talking about being biblical scholars here. We're not walking our kids through systematic theology. Though you can, that's cool. But we need to know the God that we proclaim. Who is he? What is he like? And what what do we think about when we think about God? That's like the most important thing in the world, right? What you think about when you think about God. We need to know God as he reveals himself to us, and we need to know something about godly character, what we have been called to manifest as the people of God. And so keeping it simple, here's just five foundational truths, five statements that are deep, sound, biblical theology, and yet they are so simple that even if you are a new believer, You can disciple your kids in these things. They are God made everything. God is in charge of everything. God is good. God wants to talk to us. And Jesus came to save sinners. Very simple. But everything we teach here at Christ Church both to the adults and to the children, find their roots in those five statements. And if you have those five things down, not just in your brain, but written on your hearts, you are well-equipped to disciple anyone. And what we want to do is implant these truths first in our hearts, but then in our children's, so that when they struggle or they doubt when they face challenges, when there's uncertainty in their lives or ours, we can lean on these simple, profound truths, right? They literally, any struggle you have is is answered inside of these five things, pretty much any. 
God made everything. He's in charge of everything. He is good. He wants to talk to you. And he sent Jesus to save sinners. So we want to know those five truths. And then we can get into the attributes of God. Who is this God? And the list is longer, and it's not exhaustive, but God is wise. He knows what's best. He's generous. He gives what's best. He's loving. He does what's best. He's good. He is what's best. He's unchanging, self-explanatory. He is the creator. He made everything. He's holy. God is complete, perfect, separate from sin. He's just. He is right to punish sin. He's faithful. God always does what he says he will do. He is our provider. He meets the needs of his children. He is merciful. He doesn't give his children the punishment that they deserve. He's attentive. He hears and responds to the prayers of his children. He is sovereign. He has the right, the wisdom, and the power to do all he pleases. He's compassionate. He sees, cares, and acts when his children are in need. He is glorious. He shows greatness and worth. He is a refuge, a place of safety and protection for his children. And he is a deliverer. God rescues his children. And if you were just trying to speed right, that's awesome. If you got them all, you win. But don't worry. We got you covered. We have them all printed out in the back for you. They'll be in the newsletter this week. So I still want to see it if you got them all. But when it comes to being prepared, it is going to require a little bit of work. It's going to take a little bit of time. But it's worth it to know the attributes of God and the character of God. To have them implanted in our hearts will have a tremendous impact on our life and on the life of your family. Because the more we steep in the truth of God, the more we apply these foundational truths to our lives, the more natural they will flow out of us when we interact with anyone in our family, outside of our family. It's like if one of your children struggles with anxiety, if, if they have a tendency to just get really anxious about things, we can speak into that anxiety by talking about how God is good, how he's a refuge for us. He can be trusted. How we can just ask him for strength or for courage and then pray with them. It's very simple. Cheryl's actually really good at this. I, I suffer from a condition called fixer complex. It's very rare. But I want to dismantle the anxiety and show how the situation doesn't actually warrant the anxiety. That's what I do. But the problem with that is that anxiety isn't ultimately a result of the circumstance. It's a heart condition. It is 
a gospel problem. It's a struggle to believe that God is good, that he is trustworthy, that he is powerful, that he is able to save. And what our kids need and what we need is for the Spirit to stir our hearts to believe that the God who controls everything, the loving, merciful, infinitely powerful God, loves them, cares for them. So instead of saying, stop worrying, that is irrational, I don't say it just like that. You could stop and you could pray with them that God, the all-powerful, sovereign creator of the universe, would take away their fear or their anxiety and give them his peace, which is promised. So we need to be prepared. And second, we need to be observant. Because you can obviously memorize the list and you can rattle off everything the Bible has to say about godly character. You can have a fantastic discipleship plan. But if you are so busy and distracted or just generally disengaged from your children's lives, if you don't slow down to truly know your kids and look for opportunities to engage them with these truths, all of this stuff is for nothing, really. We talked about non-present presence last week. That's a big danger. If we're not engaged and observant with our kids, we're gonna miss these moments. You won't even see them. But what about being spiritually observant? Because the reality is that we all need to understand as parents is that you can't save your kid. Right? That's a, that's a hard truth, but it's pretty biblical. Very biblical. You can't save your kid. You just can't. Only God can save. And so the reason we're doing all of this, the reason we're talking about family discipleship is because we want our children to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want them to find their hope in him. When we talk about modeling a life of love, intentionality with our time and capturing these moments to speak the truth into the lives of our children, we're not just trying to make them well-behaved, obedient kids. That's not the goal. We are planting gospel seeds in hope that they will grow to love God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might. And so, when we talk about being spiritually observant, it starts with dependence, our dependence. It starts with the reality that we cannot save anyone. We are utterly dependent on the grace of God for the hearts of our children. We are. And when this truth sinks in, we will be moved to prayer. You will. We will long to know and understand how God designed our families and discipleship inside of it to work. We will be praying every morning that God would give us eyes to see as he sees. That the, the spirit would open our eyes to recognize these moments where we can speak the truth of the gospel into our children's lives and give us words in those moments because we're always afraid. We're going to mess it up. But you're not God. 
You can't save them anyway. We will pray that the Spirit would walk with us, that we would be walking in the Spirit in our homes. Because it's so easy to just be overwhelmed by the tasks of the day, by all the little things that have to get done, all the important tasks that are on your mind. We just, they just take up residence and we just miss life. Right? Just miss these opportunities that are presented to us. And this isn't just like a parent thing, right? Everyone in this room has some sort of schedule or responsibilities kind of lingering over them every day. And it's easy for us to get so consumed with our life and our tasks that we don't even look up and recognize the world around us to see whether you're at Starbucks or in the office, like there's someone in the room hurting. There's someone discouraged. There's somebody that just needs someone to talk to. These are discipleship opportunities. They're gospel opportunities. And maybe it's just a kind word or a listening ear that they need in that moment. But the only way we will know is if we take the time to open our eyes and our hearts to something outside of ourselves. And this is the work of the Spirit. We want to be spiritually observant. We want to have our eyes open to what God is doing and what he has called us to so that we might foster gospel transformation in the lives of those around us. And so we, we pray. Knowing that salvation is from God, knowing that we are dependent upon him and asking God to give us eyes to see these opportunities that he's given us to speak truth into the lives of those around us and praying for boldness to do it when he does. And you can do this. God has given you his word to shape your mind and your heart around his truth, to conform you to the image of Christ. And he has sent his spirit into your heart to guide you and empower you for this task. And when we lose heart, which is inevitable, when we doubt, when we struggle as parents, right? You remember the half gallon ice cream in the bathroom? You're gonna have those days. We remember again the God who resides in us because he made everything. He's in charge of everything. He's good. He wants to talk to you and he sent Jesus to save sinners. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray this morning, God, that you would give us the desire, that you would give us the courage to speak boldly about you, to be a disciple-making people. God, we pray that your attributes, that the characteristics of your kingdom would be on our minds and on our lips day by day, that we would meditate on your greatness and your love, 
and that we could not help but talk about you. God, we know that salvation is from you. We know that we can save no one. But you have invited us in to your plan of redemption in this world to proclaim your glory and your salvation. We ask that you would strengthen us for this call by your spirit. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamlin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.